forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the host and creator of the Writers Panel. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I always appreciate it. Um, I also always appreciate it when, you know, you tweet at me and tell me what you like about the show or tweet at me and tell me suggestions for guests. I love to know what you're watching on television. So always like if you're watching something you love and and maybe I can get the uh, showrunner or someone involved with the show involved with the podcast, I will try to do it. So hit me anytime on Twitter at Ben Blacker and let me know who you want to see on this podcast. Um, it also really helps us um, when you leave a review on iTunes. Uh, so please take a moment and do that. Um, I haven't asked in a while, um, but we would like to like keep this going and, and get more advertisers. There is a significant amount of work involved in this. So all of that, you leaving a review helps us keep the podcast going in many ways. Um, so please, and thank you if you already have, um, and please do if you haven't. It is uh, July. It's early July when I'm recording this. It's been a couple months since I recorded a new intro, um, so I wanted to do that and just sort of check in and see how you're doing. How are you doing? Things, it seems like, are normalizing a little bit um, in this industry, if not in the world. Um, it's still hard. It's still, you know, every conversation I have with my writer friends, everyone is sort of saying, selling is difficult right now. Um and it's for a whole slew of reasons, which you know I've, I've talked about on Twitter and others have talked about on Twitter and others and I have talked together about on Twitter. So we can always get into it there. But I think it's getting better. Um, it feels better to me. Last year was awful. Uh, the first six months of this year were awful as far as getting any momentum, getting th- anything off the ground. Um, ben Acker, my writing partner, and I are now... Um, producing an audio series, writing and producing an audio series, which we're very excited about. Um, it's a story we've wanted to tell for a few years now. Um, we're also out pitching a new show, um, which is really exciting. Like, you know, a month ago, it felt like this would never happen. Um, and it's based on the script that we wrote uh, back in December that felt like no one was responding to or or we couldn't get a response to or it was going nowhere. Um, you know, sometimes it just takes one person responding um, to turn that around. And hopefully that's what's happened. So we found great partners and we're about to shop this script that really means a lot to me and to us. Hopefully someone will buy it. That's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's not easy out there. So, you know, if you are out there trying to sell, trying to staff, trying to get representation, know that it might not be you. You know, um, know that things are difficult and getting people's attention is hard. And in July and August, it's always more difficult anyway. And this year, I think it's going to be even harder. Um, people need a break. We all need a break. We all need a chance to mourn the past year and a half. Um, the people and the experiences that we lost or, you know, that suffered uh, that we suffered through. Um, and I think like we all need to shut down for a little bit. So that's, that's what's happening. Um, I will say the other, the other good thing for me personally, um, is the past couple conversations I've had, you know, I, I always love having the conversations on this podcast. I always enjoy them. Um, but something turned a corner in the past few recordings, um, starting with this one and carrying on through the next few months. And, they were really inspiring to me. Um, and it was a time when I really needed inspiration. Um, so having these conversations and the guests that I was having these conversations with who were one feeling like we're all sort of in the same boat, um, no matter our levels of experiences or, or where we are as far as like what we are doing right now. Um, but just talking about writing and talking about television, the things that we love were inspiring. So hopefully the conversations will be inspiring to you as well. There is for sure great advice in them, but in many ways, I just want to encourage you to just like let the conversation wash over you. Um, enjoy the company of these folks whose company I've enjoyed um, these past few months. Um, and, and let that be your, let that carry you into 
whatever you're working on. Let it get you excited and inspired about the next thing you're going to do. Um, hopefully you enjoy them. And as I said, um, please talk to me on Twitter. Let me know what you, what you like. Um, and if you do enjoy these podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes. Thanks as always for listening. It really means a lot that people listen to this podcast and respond to this podcast and, and that it does something for you and your, um, creative life. Cause it sure does for me. All right. Here's the episode. They write, they talk and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the writer's panel with Ben Blacker and it's starting now. Oh yeah. Thank you all for being here. This is great. Uh, this is a dream team. I'm going to ask you all to introduce yourselves on the microphones. Tell us a few places where the listener may have seen your name on their television. Uh, and Bianca, let's start with you. Hi, my name is Bianca, um, and I am a crazy writer and a playwright. Um, I'm currently working on Charmed on the CW. We are moving into season four. Um, and before that, I was on Titans, which I think is on HBO Max now, um, and the originals and this weird quibby show uh, called... <laughs> don't look beneath or don't look below or something of that nature. They keep changing the title. Great. Uh, Sean Simmons. Hey, uh, my name is Sean Simmons. I uh, created the show Wayne, which started on YouTube premium and is now on Amazon prime. Um, and before that, you know, I was that guy who just did uh, one seasons of shows that failed after 13. So <laughs> a lot of kids stuff, a lot of in between a lot of, you know, but Otherwise, I think Wayne's the thing that someone might recognize. Uh, and and I should say, like, you are here because I was shouting about Wayne on Twitter. I love the show so much. Uh, it just like I've, I've watched it a time and a half now. It's it's so much fun and like also very sweet, which I think you don't always get from the the ads for it. So folks should check it out. Thank you, man. Uh, Gabe. Hi, I'm Gabe. You probably know me from The Flash. Uh, I'm executive producer on the show right now. And much like Sean, I have kids TV background. So if you're really cool, you might know me from Penguins in Madagascar or other Nickelodeon shows, which were just the pinnacle of my career in many ways. Um, I want to start out by talking about pitching because i think that uh all of you can speak to this whether it is you know pitching an original series to buyers or pitching yourself as a writer that maybe your background does not represent you as making that transition from uh kid stuff to adult stuff um or you know pitching in the room right like that's a whole thing unto itself and i do want to start um by talking about wayne uh, with you, Sean, and like, I assume that you pitched this and didn't write it first and send out a script. Is that right? I wrote it first. I, I honestly don't think at the time, at least in 2000, was it 15, 16? Um, that was one of those things that I do not think would have, you know, like a lot of my stuff is very weird and kind of character forward in a way that if you don't put that dialogue on the page, if you don't put those characters on the page, it's really hard to pitch. Um, I also hate pitching like most of us do. <laughs> so I tried, like I just went out with a thing that had two scripts, an actress, uh, you know, executive producers, a studio, a director, two directors. I try to do all the work beforehand. If you like it enough and feel like you know your way into it and feel like you can do the work, it's a lot of work you might be doing for no reason, but if you care enough about that project, you know, that's what I do. Um, but yeah, Wayne, Wayne was one script and, you know, a bunch of producers went out with it. Um, yeah. I mean, I assume at a certain point you had to pitch those producers, the production company who you got on board, you had to pitch, even if you had the existing script, uh, which is always helpful. Like then you go in and it's more of more of a conversation than a formal pitch, uh, which is great. But you also have to like explain what this show is and, and why you're, you want to make this show and where it's going and all that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. When I went in, in that version, um, you know, it, it's a good way to do it too, because a lot of people, know right off the bat from your script whether it's their thing or not you know like you aren't going to take like i hate those 
they don't know what it is. So you take 13 meetings to go sell a pitch. My least favorite part of the job performing. And they immediately sometimes know within the first two minutes of what you're pitching them that it's not their thing. So you end up, it's exhausting. Um, so in the case of actually, I spec everything. I have never gone out with something with a pitch. Um, and when you're doing that, you know, it does become, like you say, a conversation. Um, but it is still, like, I was surprised this time with so much material for a two episode out of eight. Like, how much you still have to do these days, which is becoming, in my opinion, outrageous. <laughs> like, what you're expected to have for them. Like, season three? Are you kidding me? Um, I always tell the story of, I was on, like, you know, not too long ago, I was on a show where we went into the room the first day and I, that's what I did for the majority of my career was I was a staff guy. I didn't develop a lot. And the first day on a, you know, show that got picked up for many episodes, the showrunner, after all the talking and chatting and getting to know each other just says, okay, what's episode two. And that's the way it used to be, you know, like you sold the show based on the pilot. And he talked a little bit about what it was, but most of those people did not know what the series was. And nowadays it's like whole season, every character arc, you know, season two, season three. So yeah, it's a, and then it happened fast. I think that happened in a matter of like three, four years. Like it just all of a sudden became this, you know, we want you to do all this work to get the show made. Um, so there's a little bit of taking advantage, but sorry. Uh, so with Wayne, that's my favorite story about the what's episode two. That's, that's almost five years ago. Like what's episode Damn. two. Um, but with Wayne, it very much was like, just generally, this is a story about these two kids going from here to there. And Wayne, it was easy because it was, we knew they were going to Florida to get this car, um, which I was like, I read a lot of like Southern, uh, you know, I like old Southern fiction. Like that's, that's my favorite stuff. And, when you combine kind of the journey of going to find a fa family heirloom and the journey that happens along the way and the family that gets created along the way and the obstacles along the way, you know, that, that was an easy part. And these two kids, you know, with uh, trauma behind them and ahead of them, uh, trying to find their little slice of an Island, you know, and that Island ends up being each other. Um, of course, there's a lot more to it on the way. But that was easy to talk about, like that journey between those two kids in the way that I build all my stories is kind of putting as if I'm putting an indie character movie inside of a genre picture, um, which because I grew up in 90s indie movies and I always want them to look like Wayne kind of looks like a 90s indie movie. And that's just where my heart is. But I also am a sucker for the Spielberg and the like I'm doing a getaway car driver movie right now that's you know, combined with like a very like indie relationship movie inside of it. Um, so talking about that part of it, you know, was kind of easy because it was John Wick meets John Hughes. They, they always loved that. I used to say it was Richard Linklater does young John Wick or something like that. But and then when you're pitching that before sunset story that's inside of it, you know, inside of that all, it felt very easy. But it is more of a it's more of a conversation, like you're saying, rather than, you know, a st you still have to step by step go when they get here, they get here, they get here. And this is the way they're getting there and the emotional character arcs and what they want. But sorry, I was like, um, the interesting thing, though, it feels like you will pitch all of that stuff and then it all changes. <laughs> <laughs> right like that you do all of this and then it's like you know when you're actually in the development process of writing it and getting to the pilot so much of it changes based on the mandate of the place that you sell it to so it's like you could do all this work you can have all five seasons and then they're like right but like can we make this person a guy and then this person this and like it alters the chemistry of whatever the thing originally was and so I always find it an interesting exercise in um flexibility of like you have to know your story so well that no matter what what changes are made the core essence of what you want it stays the same because if you don't know your story when you start making those changes it just gets watered down it becomes a hot mess of gumbo soup like just just too many things together versus being able to be like hey you know what wayne is at the core of it so even if it was sort of like they're not going to florida they're going to 
Canada, right? The 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 tone would stay like so much of it would stay the same because your heart and your your due north stays the same. So like right. you can alter some of the chemistry and yet the heart is the same. And I think that's the, the hardest to me about pitching is that like before I do all the razzle dazzle, I have to know in my bones and my marrow what the show is so that no matter what they throw at you or what happens in 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 the mix of all the things that happen in development, you're like, okay, it's still basically the same heart. It's the same core. And I think to me, that's the hardest thing that I had to learn about pitching was it doesn't like you can skin a cat in 10 different ways, but at the end of the day, if it's still a cat, <laughs> you're good. If it's oh, not, if it's something you got gross. a llama, you didn't. <laughs> I, I, yeah, go ahead, Gabe. I was going to say, I love what you said about uh, an exercise in flexibility. Um, I actually love pitching. It's like my favorite thing because you don't have to write the script. You just have to tell them there's going to be an amazing script, which is so much easier. Right? <laughs> and so staring at the blank page, I was like, oh, it was easier when I just had five minutes to talk about this. Um, but my partner and I, I have a writing partner that we actually met when I was working at Nickelodeon and we created a sitcom for them. And in terms of the whole things can change in flexibility, uh, it was Bell and the Bulldogs. And it was a show about a cheerleader who becomes quarterback of her school's football team. Very cute show. And originally the pitch we went into, it was about witches and warlocks and had magic. And they were like, this, we love what you're doing. This is great. Can you do it without magic? And we're like, it's about a bunch of witches and warlocks. So <laughs> What we really loved about the show was it was the same thing. It was a school. It was a magic school with all the witches were Glenda the Good Witch and all the boys were fire and brimstone. And the head witch has to go be in charge of the boys. And now they have to work with this like Reese Witherspoon from Legally Blonde and they can't take it. So we loved that about it. And that's also what they loved. And going back to something like Sean was saying, I think the most important thing is to make sure that whoever you're pitching to, you want to make the same show. And so what we loved most about it, they also loved most about it. And so we said, well, could we change everything else around that thing? And we thought about it and we're like, what about the world of sports? And to us, it was always kind of new girl for kids. It was this girl entering the world of boys and those two genders colliding for the first time. And it, we had to do the thing that Sean's talking about where we had a packet full of like, you know, 40 episode ideas. They whittled down to like a dozen or so for like the format. And what was surprising to me was because the core of the show stayed the same, like you're saying, Bianca, the core was about gender differences. So many of the episodes we could still use. We just took out spell of the week and we put in game of the week and it was the same show. So we always knew what our line in the sand was for us. It was if the main character ever became like a tomboy, not because there's anything wrong with that, but we've seen that we wanted to do like Reese Witherspoon can play football and that was the thing that if it changed, we were going to walk away, but it never changed. And they wanted to do the same thing we wanted to do. So we kind of were very flexible in that way and took the magic out of our magic show. <laughs> I think, and, and Bianca, maybe you can speak to this even more specifically, but like, this is a great um, conversation. I think it's a great lesson for any level of writer. It's actually really helpful to me right now. Um, and the thing I sort of want to dig in on is like, how do you, how do you know what aspects of the show you're pitching are the core of the show, right? Like, how do you start to differentiate the things that really matter from like, you know, changing Florida to Canada is one thing, right? That feels very cosmetic, right? How, how deep can you dig, uh, and still not give up the pieces that matter to you. Uh, and, and Bianca, like, if you can be specific, please do. But if you can't, I also understand that. I am an analytical person by nature. <laughs> my father was a computer programmer. My mom was an analyst. Like, nobody in my family are artists, right? So, you know, like, there's some people who are singer and musicians, but even they did a lot of the tech side. So for me, I always come with both the emotion and the, the analytics. So when I'm looking at a piece, if I know, I try to like get to the core of, well, why is that thing important? Meaning 
if the heart of the show that he knew he wanted was about the gender differences, right? Then you know that like, I can put gender differences in magic. I can do it in the ocean. I can do it in the air. The core, core thing that this is about is simple and clear to me. And so all the rest of the stuff is sort of fungible about how I get there. And then, so that, if I have that, that's one thing. And then I have my due north points or my lighthouse points where I'm like, okay, I love this thing. (laughs) This is the thing, my line in the sand, I'm not letting it go. You don't like it, this ain't for you, right? Like, so there are only usually a couple of those things. Like I try not to have a lot of lines in the sand, but like, I also ask myself questions. So oftentimes when I'm writing a thing, it's because I have a specific thing I'm working out myself because I don't write about myself. <laughs> um, I only, like, I've done a lot of, like, even in theater, I did a lot of research-based pieces. So it was always like a core question. So as long as the core question, that core need, those things are intact, I can mess around. I can play around with structure, all that rest of that stuff. That's like icing on the cake. But uh, you know, there's certain things that you going to cake then. There's certain things you can't get rid of, right? And there's certain things you can. And so German chocolate, lemon, doesn't really matter. It's still a cake. So again, I use a lot of metaphors. Sorry if I'm like confusing people, but that's how sometimes my brain will just spit things out. But like, again, even that, I've just changed like five metaphors to get to the same thing. And ultimately you kind of get the basic understanding. So for me, even when I decide whether that's in the room, because I think this is also how I, I you asked about pitching in, in when you're working on a show or on my own projects, because like, especially if you're on a, on a show, you will pitch a thing and it's like in a script and then suddenly like 80 things have to change. If you don't understand what that scene is supposed to be, if you don't understand the core of what's supposed to happen, it can turn into a hot mess really fast. So for me, I'm always like, okay, what's, what's you know, if this is a house, as long as it has four walls, it doesn't matter if the kitchen's in the front room or the back room, but you got to know they have to have a kitchen and what the kitchen looks like and where it needs to be. So I just try to drill down as much as I possibly can in whatever format, whether I'm pitching my original show or I'm on a show, so that I know always and can track what's the point, what's the absolute core point, because everything else I can change, like everything else and how it's expressed can change as long as like a couple of like tent poles are just landed in the ground. So that's usually for me how I think about it. And it makes it much easier for me not to get emotionally attached to one thing. Like I'm always saying I like to fall in like, not in love. Because I feel like when I fall in love with a thing is when it's hardest for me to actually pivot. Because I can't, I'm like, I'm in love. this This is love. And you're like, yeah, don't go in love, get into like, and you're fine unless there are those things you absolutely positively love. And then those are your lines in the sand, but not having too many makes it much easier for me in life uh, and and in work. So if that helps at all. I also think it it goes back to the why you of it all, you know, um, kind of talking about pitching again, what I, one of the big things that I've learned in recent years about pitching is, you know, it's not just about the idea. And it's, of course, people know that it's like, well, why you, but, when you pitch a feature, there's, you know, one script that they need. There's one story that they need. And after they get that script, they don't need you anymore as a writer, right? Like they can get, they can get several other writers to work on that same script. But when you're pitching a show, they need a hundred scripts from you. They don't just need a pilot. They need a lot of scripts. And so an executive, I think either consciously or unconsciously when they're sitting across from me at the table is asking themselves, is this person across from me? an engine for this premise? Are they something that can generate these hundred scripts? Do I have that comfort that they'll be able to deliver on this continually? And that really is sort of what I think the full package is to a pitch. It's not just the idea. It's this idea plus this person. It's not just why am I buying this, but why am I buying this from you? Like, this is not just about a pilot. This is about a perfect match here. I have to take this on. And I think that when you're pitching a show, that why you, if it starts to change, if that in development starts to get taken away and you feel like you are no longer the best person to write this show, that's when I think it gets dangerous. You should always feel like I'm the best person to write this. Like I understand this. I love this for me. 
um, my father traveled a lot when I was growing up for his job. And my mother and a lot of strong women were like very influential in raising me. And, you know, that was always the thing that I felt like I connected with in the show. So it's exactly what Bianca was saying. The core was still there. And if that ever changed, I would no longer be the best person to create my own show. And that's when things get dicey. I think so much of what we do, and I, I think this sort of like opens to a, a broader topic, which is, you know, we're we're selling ourselves, right? Like we're selling people on the idea that I'm the person to make this show, I'm the person to write on your show, whatever it is. Um, so I'd like to sort of talk about that for a second. Uh, and Sean, you were about to to jump in. Please do. You you see a lot of people just wanting to get something across the line for any reason that isn't pure, you know, and you see a lot of that. I just want to sell something. And I could never, that whole like fake it till you make it to kind of like, let's, let's figure out what the network's looking for and then try to find, I could never do that. Like I had to be so, you know, in tune with what that idea was and emotional about it. And it come from somewhere inside me. That's me. Like Wayne's, you know, one thing I love getting is that it's so incredibly specific in tone. And I think I didn't really develop because for a long time throughout, I don't know, God, I started in 2006. Um, you know, I didn't really develop. I just liked, I loved being in a room and I loved being a staff writer. I mean, I took a, a lot of staff writing jobs for a long time and partnered up with people illegally uh, so I could be on staffs for a long time. Um, especially, he knows Nickelodeon world, man. They'll st- they'll team people up illegally <laughs> for years. Yes, uh, the, you see the staff writers that work for, you know, four different shows, staff writers, four years in a row, same network, but they're still staff writers. Yeah. I did that a lot. I got, I, I partnered with somebody I didn't even know. Um, and yeah, just, I, I never, I have to know what that show is and feel it through and through. I don't ever want to be in a position where I've sold something and I get on the other side and I'm like, I don't really know what the show is. That's, that's the like connects to the dicey part of this whole thing you're talking about, which is like, if I don't feel it in my bones, it's terrifying when you get on that other side and you have to figure it out. It's, and it generally, you know, it's so hard to make these shows. It's so hard to sell a show. It's so hard for it to get past the pilot process. It's so hard for it to get along that, you know, I don't like to sign up for anything that I'm not incredibly passionate about, you know, and you see a lot of people work that way and it seems to work out for them. But for me, I kind of have to be, fully, fully in tune with what that project is and feel it. It's very is smart, that... you know, because the worst thing in the world is what you're saying, which I've seen too, where you do change it too much and you just want to sell something desperately and you, and then you have to develop that and you have to work on it for possibly years. And it takes you away from the other things that you could be working on that you love and you're going to hate it and you're not going to understand it. Um, it's just, it's a not setting yourself up for success. Does that correlate to working on other shows too, right? It's sort of a different animal. Um, they have to care about that show. They have to enough to give you a strong target, but you know, how do you find your way in? I think it's to a different extent, but no, I, I mean, I, I can't work on something I don't like. <laughs> like at some point I have to have something to love because I always say, if I have to cry into my computer, which half the time we are, right? It's three o'clock in the morning. you got to get like pages out. You got to like what you're doing because you just, it's just too hard otherwise. Or you have to like what, like you have to like a character or you have to like the people you work with, or there has to be some, thing to love for me or else I don't know why I'm doing this like it ain't the paycheck I mean and I wish I was that person who was like yes no it's not because it's like the paycheck because can't and it's interesting because I I have a couple mentees and I'm constantly telling them like your hustle before you make money is the same hustle you have to have afterwards the love you have before you start is the same love you have to have after it that money is not going to make the difference like those pay- those are great but you're working 18 hour days you ain't gonna have time to spend that money <laughs> you might be you know under a bridge at 2 a.m in the rain like you better like the damn show you're working on you better like the people you're working with you better like what you're doing and i think so often uh it, it's it's hard because 
you know, but it's different because I also have to remind myself it's not my show. So I can't, this is why I live in the, I like it a lot. Like I can be in the severe like, but I can't be in the love because once you get into the love, then I want to take ownership of something that's not mine. Right. And I have to constantly, when I'm on somebody else's show, remind myself, I'm not the showrunner. Right. Like my job is sometimes chuck wood and carry water and, or be a minesweeper and be like, Ooh, landmine, please don't do that. Cause that's going to blow us all up. Right. That is, that is my job. If they listen great. If they're like, nah, we're not doing that. We're going to do this thing over here. Then maybe my job is to be, you know, to do that today. And so I think there's a different level, but for me, I cannot, I cannot do a job. I have said no to things that I was like, I know this is a thing that I should want and all that prestige. Uh, ain't for me. Just it ain't for me. So I am very choosy, um, which is weird because I've been on lots of different kinds of shows, which is also kind of strange. And part of it is because there's a thing that I love that I was like, oh, I want to play with this today. Um, and I don't like to repeat myself. So I do sometimes like a challenge of finding something that I wouldn't normally do and try that thing and be out on the high wire. And so sometimes the high wire is the thing that I love. So I think for every person, it's different from what that looks like. But I can't be on a show that I hate. Like, I just can't do it. That's the thing about show running, too, is and I talk a lot, a lot about this lately in meetings. Um, you know, Wayne was my first gig and I was lucky that they let me run that um, through and through. And there's a lot of variables like it was YouTube premium at first and they just allowed me to make the show I wanted to make, which is isn't always the case. I know I was lucky and I know I had incredible um, executives there. But it sounds like a brag, and I don't mean it this way. It's it it show brag, running. brag, brag, <laughs> show brag. Running. It's so it was so much easier in hindsight than I expected. Not in the way that you know you are working eighteen hours, like you said. Um, I was exhausted. I had the first three weekends. I had exhaustion sickness so bad that. I would go out to meet some of the actors or, you know, people worked on the show on brunch and I had to turn around because I'd break up in a sweat and feel nauseous and had to fall back into bed. Like that's hard. Like hours are just hard and you care so much and you're exhausted like that. But you better know specifically what your show is and exact every beat and care about it that way. Because in the end, it felt easy for that reason. Like I knew, I mean, I write every song into every script like months before they may change in post, but you know, I know every moment of the show and have like, you know, at times cried about that moment in the show over the computer writing it or like in a way that I know exactly what it's supposed to look like. Now, all these people you hire have, you know, that that's a key too. like we got lucky with two incredible. How many times you get two good kids like that? That's a, that's always a I felt working in kids TV. It was like, we got two good kids. Like it was an incredible feat. Um, and I got two great kids that are now, you know, 23, but, um, and, and the cast and and the people you hire, but treating those people like peers instead of your employees and making it a team effort. And they felt like I had grips pitching stuff and I put it in the show. Like it just felt it was that magical thing. So in hindsight, like if you know what the show is specifically, people might challenge you, but it makes it, God, it, it felt, felt easy in hindsight other than, you know, I fell asleep one night with one pant leg off one boot, <laughs> one boot still on one pant leg still on. And I woke, I woke up the next morning. This is the funniest part. I woke up the next morning and I thought I had bed bugs all over the bed. I was like delirious. And I realized they were, they were fucking Spanish peanut skins <laughs> because I had got, I was in like a new strange environment. I had got into that gift bag that the net, the network sent like late exhausted and like, blah, blah, like just ate a bunch of Spanish peanuts and then fell asleep like this and then woke up and they're all over my skin. And I was like, Oh my God, I got bad bugs. Um, that, that's how exhausted you can get. But if you know what it is and they let you, they let, they know you know what it is and they're letting you make that show that because they can't make it, he hasn't dialed in. It felt like incredibly easy in the end, you know, except for the Spanish peanuts. Skis. John is a, 
Sean's giving everybody a, a true look into the glamour of Hollywood, the, the real, <laughs> you know, the real lifestyle we all live. Uh, I think one of the one of the other great gifts of creating something and you know running it and being at that level on the ladder is the next show that you work on that you haven't created. And going back to like your question, Ben, about do you have to love the show and kind of what Bianca was saying, once you've been there and you understand the hell that is development and getting something on the air and how hard you have to work just to get there and then how hard you have to work to keep it on the air and and make the show, you have a different insight than the writer who's only worked for other people and you have a different sympathy for your next showrunner and you kind of understand this isn't my show, like Bianca's saying, and I'm here to help. I know how hard it is. I know what they're going through. I have to help them. I'm not here to like push my agenda on anything. And what I would suggest to anybody who hasn't created something and is you know, going to work on a show at any level is to work on your own stuff before you go into the room or at night afterwards, especially if you're the kind of person that because we've all seen them, the people that like are destined to be future creators, but they're on someone else's show and they they pitch something and it doesn't quite go the way that they feel the show should go because it's not their show. And then they just get frustrated because that they're creators and they're not creating. It's especially important, I think, for those people to work on their own thing, then go into the room. Um, I would say know thyself and I am one of those people. And when I started doing that in my career, I became such a better employee going into the room and pitching. I was, there was no fear or anxiety with pitching rejection. It didn't matter because I put my effort into my own thing and I'm here to help. And so I think the more that like, you know, people can carry that with them, that it isn't their show, that their boss is going through things that they have no idea how hard they are and that they've earned this show. And if they've earned the right to put their vision out there and you're here to help and make their life a little less easier and make sure they've got fresh peanuts when they need them to, you know, wake up with. Yes. Uh, I always say, yeah, if you're going to do 10 hours with somebody else, there's 24 hours in the day. One of those hours should like one of those hours in that 24 hours should be for you. So if it's 10 minutes in the morning to write a play or to write, a whatever it is, do something that's yours because you're right. Like that is the thing that'll keep you from being bitter or will keep you from being like, they didn't love it great. Take your love and put it somewhere else. Put it into your own baby and not like, you know, trying to force somebody else's child to, you know, wear the clothes you want them to wear. (laughs) Just put the love in the place that's yours. Uh, Bianca, your metaphors sing. Um, So much of it, I feel like, comes back to what you were talking about, which is sort of falling in like with the material, right? Like we often talk on this show about how this job is such a balance of ego and humility. And right, it's you have to have the ego to say this idea that I'm giving you is the best idea, (laughs) but the humility to understand that it's probably not. (laughs) And when it's shot down to understand that, yeah, it's the right decision that my showrunner or the buyers or whoever didn't want this. Um, Let's talk about your psychology and how we manage that balance of ego and humility. I mean, Gabe, it sounds like you went through a process of figuring out who you were in that room and how to manage that. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that any writer can have, most important quality is honesty. Um, It's not just like write what's honest and true in that sense, but, you know, the ability to ask yourself, why am I feeling what I'm feeling right now? What am I feeling? What am I honestly feeling? And why am I feeling it? When you're watching something, when you're reading something, when you're hearing a pitch, when you're creating your own thing. And I think it also goes back to to you, the person. And you have to be honest with like who you are as a person and learn, these are my goals. I want to be someone that can contribute and I want to create and I want to do all these things. And what do I have to do for myself? You know, uh, if you need a therapist, get a therapist. That's totally okay. If you're one of those people that like is better, if you wake up early and, you know, work out and then go to work, do that. And in terms of the ego thing, you're totally right. It's this weird conundrum of like, like the sports actually, you know, they got to believe they can make that next shot, even if they've missed seven and like, yeah, give me the buzzer beater. I'll do it. Otherwise they won't make it. But at the same time, they have to know when they got to pass the ball because they're not making shots. 
And I think it, for me, goes back to um, parent energy. You know, is it about you or is it about the show? What's really best for the child, right? When you're a parent, you have to, you, you would, you know, put a child before yourself. And I think a show is like that too. And you have to really just say, honestly, I'm being honest. Is this about me or is it about the show? Because the audience doesn't know me. No one in the audience will know any of us. They're only going to know the show. So don't like let wanting to be right get in the way of being right, which I've seen many a times. I've seen the showrunners who are threatened by someone who's smarter than them in the room. And they just... They, they hear the right answer, but they want to stick to their thing because they just, they, otherwise they feel threatened as I'm the boss. I'm supposed to be the smartest person here. And I, I, the best bosses I've always had are the ones that um, love when people um, pitch something better than them. And so those are people who have, I think, definitely learned the lesson that is it about them or is it about the show? And if it's about them, perhaps they need to listen to other voices. Those uh, those showrunners are smart because they're going to get their show's going to be better because they listen to those people. And they, I'm begging, I'm hoping and praying that you get the best writers so you can get those ideas. And, you know, you're going to get credit for them in the end. No. But in the end, it's like idiotic to feel threatened by people being better than you because they're going to rise your show up, you know. And God, I, you know, so many times in rooms, I realize this more as a showrunner that that kind of pitching that comes from, I want to get one in rather than I want to make the show better is, is really dangerous because you find yourself, I felt on this recent thing I was, I'm working on, you find yourself noticing when people are throwing, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater is a thing, like just because they want their idea in instead of something that already works. Um, which is really dangerous. Um, I never felt that way when I was actually, when I was pitching on a staff, it was, you know, I, if something came up that could help, you know, I was so psyched to have helped, but to actually take stuff that's already working and just trying to replace it to get that win, that, that stuff's the stuff that crumbles rooms, you know, and I, I you know, I felt that re- recently and kind of identified it for the first time in a way as a showrunner where you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Like we can't work like this. You can't work from there. You have to work from like, let's all make this better and I'll have the win and not just remove stuff just so you found a little hole to get something in that might be good. Now, of course, pitch that stuff if you think it will make the show better, but you can identify when they're just, you know, that isn't the, that isn't the goal of their pitch. What is your strategy when you find that? Do you, how do you adjust? Um, you know, I, I mean, listen, those, you know, I'm talking probably on a very small level. Somebody pitches an idea for a new thread in a scene and you start to identify that, you know, they're, they're pitching on the wrong thing that you're not asking them to pitch on. And, and then, you know, I, I usually have kind of a, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't like, I'm not very confrontational. I'm not you know, I want everyone to always feel good. I felt like when I felt bad in a room, it just, you're pitching bad stuff and you're, you're working from a place of negativity and Victor Fresco, I worked for before and he, he's wonderful. And the first day of the room, he said, 98% of our job is pitching bad shit. And I said, okay, let's go. I got some bad shit. You know, like, it just makes you feel so free and so relaxed knowing that because it, it's the truth, like bad stuff will bring you to other places and off roads and corners you didn't think you'd get or never predicted you'd get. Um, so in the end, how do I, how do I just is really like you can only say no a couple of times and say, you know, this is probably, you know, I feel pretty good about where this is right now and we should be pitching on this other thing. Um, and you know, you hope everybody knows the rule of like, you can maybe pitch something twice and maybe, but, but after that, you maybe back off, it's going to be bad for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, adjusting just by considering it, talking it out, saying, you know, saying, I get what you're saying, you know, but, and, uh, you know, reminding them that that isn't the thing you're working on right now. And, you know sometimes someone will pitch from that place and be like, Hey, what about this? And the thing will be better. 
I'm not saying that, you know, we can all talk it out and, and say, do we think this thing is better? Um, but in the end, you know, I, when I identify that, it's kind of like, let's let, I'd really like to specifically focus on this one thing and making this one thing better and not getting off track. You know, I don't know if that's the question you're asking, but. I think it's interesting is like, I actually feel like those two things don't, this is going to sound terrible. Don't belong in like, if you can put them to the side, right. And go from a place of like strategy and questioning then you're not worried about, do I look stupid? Do I look crazy? Is this my ego? Like you're just attacking the problem and sort of taking yourself out of the equation because then you're focused on, is this the best for the story? Which is usually the question that I feel like when a room is coming from, doesn't matter what Bianca is today, is this the best for the actual script? And I think that's the hardest part because it's like, Ego gets in the way, humility gets in the way. Like if I if I have a pitch and it bombs, and if I'm in my head, then I'm in my head. I'm not thinking about the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm thinking about me. And so I always feel like when I get into that place of ego or humility, then I'm also already on the wrong track. Like I'm not even in the right stadium. I need to be over here thinking about what the show is. And so what I always tell people is like, if when I find myself in that place, I go to strategy and I go to questions. Right. So I'm, I'm questioning like, oh, OK, like, oh, this is the pitch and I don't understand it. Then I can ask questions and maybe the questions will get us to the answer, even if I don't have an answer that like fixes the problem. If you ask the right questions, you're actually closer to getting to that answer versus people who are just like lobbing shit <laughs> at the wall, hoping it sticks out of ego or they're humiliated or whatever. And so to me, it's like often specifically in rooms, because that is the number one thing, especially at the end of the day, everybody's tired. <laughs> Like you could devolve real quick if you're not just like focused on like, okay, what is our strategy? What are we solving for? Like, what are we actually solving for? Because there's times you're in a conversation, you're like, what are we even talking about? We've been right. talking for two hours and I don't even know what we're solving for. So if there's no strategy or, you know, you're not asking questions, I feel like whenever that trap of, of like, yes, we have to have the ego to sit there. But I actually, what you said, um, Sean was really helpful because one of my favorite showrunners who have worked for a couple of times is like, this isn't about being good. This isn't about like our ego. This isn't like, that was his speech. Like his speech is like, we get to do this. When you're a kid playing in the sandbox, you just fucking play in the sandbox. Like you don't, right. you're not trying to build the Mona Lisa or some big thing. You're just trying to play in the sand. And so I've kind of adapted that way of being like, if I take the ego out of it, if I take my self out of it or if I do have that day where you're like, I feel like shit today. I don't know if I can write today. If I can just ask a couple good questions, that's all that they'll need from me. <laughs> and I can shut up and sit in the corner. Um, so I think it's like a weird balance because the best rooms I've been in aren't people who are, are, are the people who are like, I don't even know if I'm any good at this, but I know I can ask some great questions or like y'all will turn my, my turds into diamonds. Like those people actually tended to be the best people in the room because they were just giving and giving and helping and giving. And I try to do that. <laughs> sometimes it accomplishes, sometimes it doesn't, but it is the thing that reminds me, oh, kid in the sandbox, like fuck trying to be good. Stop trying to make it great. Just try to make it true or ask the questions and ask somebody else. And maybe they'll be smarter than you today and fix it. So I don't know. Yeah, another way I adjust is to actually go to people's offices or the next day and tell them you're doing great. <laughs> like I, because it honestly puts people at ease. I think most of the time they're thinking to themselves, am I keeping my job? Because this business, we've all been in rooms that are just scary and, and bad and, and you felt bad and insecure. And a lot of the time, some people just need like, you're doing great, man. Are you having fun? Like, you know, and reminding of them of those things. Sometimes that I've seen that turn corners for people in a big way. And sometimes like without making them feel like you're trying to get to a place of like, you know, I'm concerned or anything like that, like just trying to make them feel good um, by kind of asking like, is there anything on the show like you need clarity on or you feel, but sometimes that's tricky because it can make, I'm very analytical of every move everybody makes. I can see, I watch people's faces. It's why I'm a writer, I think. I never trust any situation. But, you know, so sometimes if you did that to me, I'd go, oh my God, it's over. I'm getting fired on Thursday, you know? But <laughs> you, you have to be very uh, slick about it. But, you know, just reminding people they're doing a great job if they're doing a great job or, you know, make keeping the stuff open that 
people feel comfortable and not scared because you're not going to get anything good out of those people that are scared, you know? And I don't want, it's, you know, I don't want to let, I've lived like that on shows where I was crying in the car, yeah. you know what I mean? And like, I don't want anybody to live that job, that life because I, you know, it's, it's a lot of hours your day to be going crying in your car after on the way home. Yeah, I think that's the, amazing advice. Like, you never want the showrunner to only come in your office when it's bad. You never want to only get a phone call when it's bad because then you see a ring and you're like, uh-oh. Um, so that's really, really, really great advice. You're doing a good job, Sean. <laughs> thank, you thank people at the end of the day. They came to work. It's amazing how far thank you goes. Like when you do it like twice a week, you're like at the end of the day, like I try to remember when people walking out of the room going like, thanks for everything today, guys. You know, I don't know, man, it, it seems so easy to do instead of I'm going to, you know, terrify, <laughs> well, terrify and it seemed, out of being a good employee. Right. It seems like so much. And, and there's like this upcoming, this new crop of showrunners, which all of you are who understand that, communication is so key to this. And, and it feels like that's the heart of, of what you're all getting at is like, we just have to talk to each other and be clear with each other about like why we're here or what we're doing or what we're pitching on and, and the macro, you know? Uh, and I feel like that was something that, you know, as I was coming up, as you guys were coming up, that like there was a breed of showrunner who was at a remove. And, and I, you know, hopefully they were the exception, but I know we've all worked for them. <laughs> And it made the job that much harder. I think also the, my favorite showrunners will will be able to also pinpoint what your superpower is, right? Because I think what also can make some people feel bad or the times where you're stressed, or I remember the very beginning, I thought I had to be good at everything, right? Like you, Like not understanding that like, oh, you're the person in the room who they look to to do certain things. And it doesn't mean you can't have other skills, but like, everybody doesn't have to be exact same. Like there's a person in a room that I'm in, man, that person can always come up with 9,000 ways to fix any one problem. They got the, you know, the, what do you call it? The Swiss army knife kind of person who's just like, what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? That might not be you, right? Like you might be the question person or you might be the person who's on the board, not saying much, but you've been writing it down and you can see it and you're the blueprint person, right? So I think what was really helpful, at, especially at the beginning when I was starting, of having showrunners, and not sometimes even showrunners, sometimes it was other writers, um, be it like my actual cohort on the same level or like slightly above, who could be like, you're really good at this thing. You should, you know what I mean? And then I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, and then, so it, it helped me start to develop those specific skills. And so even if it wasn't like, you're doing good today, it was like, you know what? You're good at this. Have you noticed that? And it made me be like, oh, people are watching and listening, but also able to help me hone my skills. And I think the best showrunners I've ever worked with do that. And it, that always made me feel good of like, oh, you helped solve this one problem. You were shit for the rest of the day, but like <laughs> you came in clutch, right? Like those people, sometimes that's all good too, right? Like I know I had a bad day, but I had that one win, right? So there could be just those little, <laughs> little beats that like will pick you up from feeling like okay it's not just that if i'm succeeding all the time i can fail and you're okay with me failing badly on my face but you also appreciate the things that i can bring when i am bringing them and so not for me to ruminate because i'm also that person who will ruminate on the bad and the mistakes so sometimes it will get me out of the rumination and recognize sometimes those mistakes help us get to a better place or maybe just let those mistakes go and focus on the positive. Being in a room is wholly different, which I would love to hear you guys talk about. Like, it's a wholly different experience. I came from being an actor and being a playwright where like, I, you know, when you're acting, yeah, you're working with other people, but like, it's different, right? You don't have any control. You do the words, you say the thing, you get off, right? As a playwright, I'm in a room by myself. I can do what the hell I want to. But being in group think, being, being in groupthink is a whole other beast. And I think no one really talks about how that functions because it's different. Like my name might be on the script, but it's groupthink. And it's just, it's a different way of working. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, the communication and the groupthink of it all, an another role that I, I think is often not talked about on these sort of podcasts and things that, is super important, almost as important as showrunner. And I'm not just saying this because I currently am this on the flash, 
but it's the number twos on shows who every Khaleesi needs their Tyrion and who you hire as that number two, especially on a show that has a lot going on. Like ours, we currently, it's like making a Marvel movie every week on like the budget and timetable of a TV show. So our showrunner has a ton of things to do and can't be in the room a lot. The numbers twos really are the bridge between the staff and the showrunner. And that sort of communication is so important because there's just certain ways that the boss is always the boss and the communication is going to be different when you're an employee talking to the boss, but the number two on the show can kind of play both of those lanes a little bit more. And the shows I've been on that have had a clear sort of like hierarchy at that level and good communication at that level have always been the smoothest. And the ones where it's like, there is no number two, or there is one, but like they don't even know where the showrunner is right now. They didn't know when the last time they talked to the showrunner was. Those are always the ones where you're like, ooh, red flag. I don't know if I want to take this job, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's very important, I think, that, you know, when showrunners hire, they're looking at someone that not only creatively gets them, but someone that understands they're a channel of communication to the room between them and the room and how to not only manage the room, but also manage the showrunner a little bit in terms of what they need to know to be able to communicate and connect with their room. Yeah, I leaned, I lean really, really heavily on the number two um, because there's so many aspects of the job that anybody can use help with that aren't necessarily just coming up with ideas or communicating with the staff or running, knowing they have to pick up right when you walk out of that room to do a meeting or getting on that call with you and defending things that you might have forgotten about, you know, that are story points that you've been so busy, like, wait, what was the last pitch on that? You know, stuff like that. So, you know, I had a, I'm working on this John Wick uh, spinoff right now for stars that I've been working on for the last two years. Um, and that alone was so overwhelming as a huge IP and, and uh, you know, a lot of different versions of the show floated around and, and changed during the middle of the process. And so having that, I have uh, Susan Arneson who worked on Preacher, um, The Tick, um, who is amazing and an incredibly good shoulder to lean on when, you know, times like trying to keep all that mythology in your head of the movies and whatnot. But that's, I mean, that's a good point. It's incredibly key to have that person you can rely on to kind of like, it's not just that you're like, here's the second person to take, you know, the weight. It's sometimes they're, you have, they have to do your job for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like they're the showrunner almost at certain points. And sometimes, you know, on Wayne, I was there every day of shooting except for five days um, because I just couldn't, I was, I cared about it too much. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't hand it over, but with this, which is somebody else's property and a big thing with two, you know, million people in the room, million people, you know, million producers, you really do need that person to, to lean on um, in so many ways. It's a big, huge project. So, and I'd recommend it for the small projects, you know, half hours or anything, because, you know, being able to walk out of the room and knowing that they're going to just carry the ball for you, you can't, you know, that's everything. Yeah. It's also like emotionally, like in terms of like staff morale and how things like that, no one knows how the staff really feels more than like the number twos on the show. Um, the best way to, to know how a staff feels about a showrunner's pitch is to ask the showrunner to leave the room. And then you're going to hear how everybody really feels about what they're saying and their real ideas. And they're, you know, um, and that's just always how it's going to be. Like, I remember on Bella, I would be like, you know, I love Star Wars. And uh, suddenly everyone I talk to loves Star Wars. You know, you're the creator of the show and they, they all like just think it's great. <laughs> and you're like, this is great. I somehow I've statistically found the, the nest of all the Star Wars fans in Hollywood. Um, but uh, they're ne you're never and it's all like coming from a good place. Right. Like it's I totally understand. I've been in that position many times. But your number twos are going to be the ones who really know how the staff feels about anything, whether it's the, the story or just emotionally where they're at right now. So that's the other part of the job that I think is very crucial to having a good relationship with the showrunner is the person that understands that like, I need to hire someone who can fill that role, not just like help me like rewrite scripts. Yeah. Um, 
I think you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of it comes back to what we started out talking about. Um, because I think having that support system uh, is important to sort of checking in, right? Like what, what is our North Star? What is our lighthouse? How are we, are we still making the show that we set out to make? You know, and you start that by yourself, but you wind up doing that with hundreds of people. Um, we do have to wrap up. Unfortunately, this has been terrific. I hope you will all come back and chat again sometime. Uh, this, like I said, this is a dream team. This is great. Um, a lot for uh, writers, again, of all types of experience to take from this conversation. But let's wrap up, as we always do, by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your room, your loved ones? Uh, Gabe, let's start with you. Uh, I am currently loving Loki. It is so intelligently put together. And the amount of change that they can have episode to episode is just blowing my mind. Um, so I love that. And I also have been catching up on animation lately. So I just finished the DuckTales reboot and uh, Castlevania on Netflix, both of which are also <laughs> incredibly well put together. Um, however, if you're going to watch DuckTales, you must Google the correct order because Disney has it out of order and it's serialized. And it would be a shame because it's some really great storytelling. That's funny and good advice. Thank, thank goodness you're here for that public service message. Disney Plus, listen up. Uh, Sean, what are you watching these days? Um, I re rewatched Patriot recently for the, you know, it's funny. I met, I, started listening to your show because of your show with Stephen Conrad, who is my hero. Um, incredibly inventive. I feel like, and by no means, so I mean, Wayne's as good as anything he's ever done, but I feel like it's one of those shows where I was like, I heard about Dustin Davis who works at, you know, Dustin, I guess you guys had a little back and forth um, recommended it to me after I started turning in cuts of Wayne. And he said, you have to watch Patriot. And I said, I was like, okay, I'll, that sounds like a spy show or something. And it doesn't seem like my jam, but so I ended up watching it and it's the most inspiring, tonally specific, beautiful looking show I'd ever seen in my life. Weird. Like I totally want to do all shows where I can have a scene where someone just is introducing themselves to people in an elevator for a full, like 47 seconds. Um, so anyway, I'm rewatching that again because I'm writing something else new and it's, it's inspiring me. I feel like Wayne could live in that universe is what I'm saying. It's like one of those few shows where I'm like, oh, these characters could actually live in, in the same universe. So uh, I'm glad you're you're writing fanfic for your own show, which is inspiring to me. <laughs> yes. Now I'm adding his characters into my world. <laughs> yeah. Characters. He just were, he comes from that place of absolute gorgeous, like combination of heartbreak and humor that that I all my stuff is sad funny you know what I mean like that's kind of like what I do um Korean someone just Molly Quinn who's an actress just recommended a, a Korean I guess you'd call it a drama teen drama it's called extracurricular anybody watch this I've heard of it I haven't seen it yet oh my god like I could not stop watching the show um so something worth watching uh has a lot of crazy twists and turns and um, and I watched recently the detectorist, uh, detectorist. Oh, that's your funny, sad, like that's the pinnacle. It is like shockingly, it is the most tender, quiet thing in the world. It almost feels brave in that sense. Like I was like, holy <laughs> shit, the show's so quiet and sweet. What is going on? And, and the, that music that goes throughout the whole thing and, yeah, I was blown. I, I kept going like, how has this been made? How has, the, how has you been brave enough to make this? It's so beautiful and small and quiet and yeah. tender. This list, we all do this because we love TV. Like we could talk about the stuff we love for hours. I'm obsessed with food. Um, my mom used to cater uh, or still she retired from her regular job and caters. So like food is a big thing. So I've been watching like high on the hog and what's the other one? I think it's like salt, fat, acid, heat. Like I was on a binge of food things, but they also have really good narratives to them, even though they're technically like documentaries, but I did really enjoy them. And then in the scripted space, I just binged the first season of a discovery of witches and was like, what is this? 
Um, and it's beautiful and it's like, you know, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. And it gave me my like outlander vibes of, you know, these like old people and amazing, like, I love mythology and I really love these sort of big, big worlds. Um, and then I was obsessed, uh, with Hannah. So I've been rewatching, um, that on Amazon. Like, it's just, you know, so good. So I rewatched the first two seasons of that, uh, like a week ago. Um, and then the other thing I just finished binging, I think it's called Ginny and Georgia, Ginny and Georgia, Georgia and Ginny. It's on, it's on Netflix and it's like adorable. And like, I have, uh, younger nieces. And so, well, they shouldn't have been watching it. It sounded like it was going to be like a Gilmore's girl. And I was like, um, y'all can't, (laughs) like maybe you can't. And then I ended up watching it. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was like one of those times where it's like kids can, like, I don't like, I love when kids get to be full humans right and not like us making them do hamstrung things and like they can be they can fuck up they can do crazy stuff and like but also be like really smart and immature all at the same time and like so I thought that like really captured that voice um and so sometimes that's you know where I am but like Hannah I thought was just so good (laughs) and I keep rewatching it um and I can't wait till there's another one and I'm about to start season two of Discovery of Witches so I'm really excited because I hear they go to the past so if you've heard it if you've seen it don't tell me um, but I'm really excited to watch season two. <laughs> that sounds so good. Uh, I haven't watched Hannah. I've, I feel like I've been resisting it for some reason, but I shouldn't. Like, it sounds great. And people I respect recommend it. So I love it. It's different than the like, the funny thing is, is it captures some of the movie, but I think it's only the movie for like the first three episodes. And mm-hmm. um, I always forget their name. I know what shows they've been in. Um, the guy who's in it and uh, they were both working together as partners on that show the, the murder show with the kid the redhead and uh, oh what is it called um, kill? Mm-hmm. it wasn't the killing I mean, right? it, I think it was the killing they were yeah. playing partners in the killing and they're both in this and oh right yeah, yeah and so and they're playing opposite but they're so fucking good as actors like both of yeah. them are so so good and I thought that my only critique of the movie was that the other that female character was sort of like a caricature and in this that actress is so good and emotional and like you want you're rooting for her and she's the bad guy and like it it took some of the things I really loved about the movie and then gave it this emotional punch and then season two is just like a whole other beast so I I just think okay. I love things that are big and beautiful and also action-packed and where girls get to kick some ass and blow some shit up so that will awesome. always be a thing for me <laughs> I love that's great. I'm going to check it out. And also two recommendations for you. Um, if you want fully realized teen characters, watch Wayne. Uh, <laughs> but also, have you watched uh, Padma's food show on Hulu? That is on my next. So it was like great. literally Hulu was like, this is going to be, you know, <laughs> get a, yeah, Padma is next. And there's also something called like a barbecue off or something. Which is, which is fun, but not like high on the hog sort of hits that the apex of that kind of thing. Uh, but Padma's show it has the sa- a similar kind of vibe uh, and like gets you excited about food and culture. And it's really cool. Thank you all so much for chatting today. This was really fun. Uh, please come back anytime. Come plug something. Or if you just think of uh, some good advice you want to give, that's a good reason to. Uh, good luck to all of you. We'll hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.